It's the week that was with Joe Palmasano. It's June 8, 2019, and you have tuned in to the week that was. For the next three hours, we hope to entertain you, enlighten you, and get you caught up in this week's events. As we come to you from the Palatial Studios on the 110th floor of the worldwide headquarters of WHBC. But we still have these 1960 phones. I'm surprised they're not rotary. As we have reached the 75th anniversary of D-Day plus two, what was happening in the world on June 8th in history? One thing that I could come up with that I thought was relevant, that was important. In 1968, on this date, they arrested, officials arrested, James Earl Ray in, in a London airport on charges of conspiracy and murder in connection with the assassination of civil rights leader. Um, I, I, I hate calling him civil rights leader. He was so much more. He was a civil rights leader, yes, but he was a, uh, so much more than that. Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. With the arrest this week uh, at Belden Village, the Belden Village area for human trafficking and prostitution, in the cities of Oakland, California, and Denver, Colorado, uh, that legalizing uh, or decriminalizing the use of hallucinogenic mushrooms and peyote, the question keeps ringing in my head. What are we doing? Can we really, truly legislate morality? Have we ever been able to legislate morality? Can we criminalize our way out of the poor choices that people make? And should we prosecute individual behavior? Is this the effort? Uh, is this effort more of the epitome of the definition of insanity? I believe so. I believe so. But the thought of decriminalizing all vices, even though I know in my heart it would be right, still doesn't sit well in the brain of this traditional man's cranium doesn't sit right. So I asked three people who I trust, who I respect, who I admire, as much as any I know, to help me with this dilemma today. From a legal perspective, I have asked Attorney J. Dean Carroll to join me today, along with Pastor Walter Moss, who will provide us with, as usual and, and much more, but a spiritual perspective. I have also asked the help of Dr. Tim King, who is a Ph.D. in clinical counseling and is the founder of Family Care Counseling Center in North Canton, to give us his psychological perspective on this issue. So all three of these wise, um, 
very uh, honest, direct men will be joining in, joining me in studio this morning, joining us in studio, live at 9 o'clock, to discuss this complex topic. Uh, so we'll also take your calls on it. I, 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 I'm going to find this very interesting, talking to them and bouncing ideas off of them. This week also marked the 75th anniversary of D-Day, and is my hope, it is my hope, that we never forget why D-Day was necessary, first of all, so we don't make those mistakes again, and so that we never forget also those who fought so valiantly to free Europe and, and ultimately the world. We're going to have other stories this week. We've got plenty of other stories, including a few that will make you wonder if we have totally lost our collective mind. We will have sports with John Bazika. We're going to have the latest news with J. David Ress and our trifecta contest and more. Stay tuned. You have tuned into the week that was. Don't go away. Okay, we're jumping right into this contest thing. This is another, how many four packs of tickets do we have? Vouchers to Akron Rubber Ducks games. But it's a good summer prize. I'm, don't get me wrong. But it's, uh, and you could go anytime you want, which is great. It's a flexible thing. You could pick a beautiful day, go to the Akron Rubber Ducks game up at Canal Park. Uh, where John, uh, no, John's not going to be there today. It's going to be uh, Frank and Bob. Bob. Frank and Bob. Which is not a uh, local. Frankly, Bob. I was to say, that's not a local uh, garage that you can take your car to, Frank and Bob's. I know, that's what it sounds like. All right, so here's a contest, and this is a D-Day-themed contest to honor D-Day. Uh, the first answer is, later on in the show, by the way, I'll give you the questions. If you match them up correctly, you will win the four-pack of vouchers to the see the Akron Rubber Ducks. The first answer is Operation Overlord. Operation Overlord. Second answer is First U.S. Army Group. First U.S. Army Group. Third answer is 1943. Okay, so... Number one, Operation Overlord. Number two, First U.S. Army Group. That was John bumping his head in the mic. First U.S. Army Group. And the third answer is 1943. Later on the show, I'll give you questions. If you can match them up, you will win the four-pack of tickets. This is... Um, I, I watched... Um, in honor of this 75th anniversary of D-Day, I watched an entire yesterday and the day before. I did it twice. I watched the entire Band of Brothers. Now, if you've never seen Band of Brothers, you have to watch it. It's done by Steven Spielberg. It, it's uh, it, it's absolutely... He has another one out called The Pacific. Um. But it takes true life events and true life people 
and then tells their story all the way from D-Day to the surrender of Germany and then beyond. It is um, it's absolutely mind-boggling. And so you get an idea, the filming of D-Day in this really brings it to life. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine. And if you watch the movies like Saving Private Ryan on the D-Day scene, when they land on Omaha Beach. Yeah, it, it's absolutely mind-boggling. 160,000 Allied troops landed on a 50-mile stretch of heavily fortified French coastline. 160,000. Now, within a couple days, that ballooned up to about 875,000 once they secured the beach. But 160,000 landed on that initial day. Um, the the landings, there were 5,000 landing and assault craft. 5,000. Can you imagine seeing that coming at you? With all the airplanes, the paratroopers, the whole thing that are coming in. 289 escort vessels. Now, there's 5,000 landing and assault craft, okay? 5,000 of them. Then 289 escort vessels, 277 minesweepers, and 160,000 troops. All of them, and that doesn't take in all the aircraft, all of them crossed the English Channel on D-Day. You know, they say there are only 4,414 confirmed deaths on D-Day, but historians and people realize that this number is probably over 10,000 that died on that day. It's hard to imagine 18, 19, 20-year-olds landing on that and, and having to wade Omaha Beach is huge. I mean, it's it's you're not talking about a, a little beach. You're not talking about Myers Lake here or something. You're talking about this huge open expanse, and they had to actually a lot of times the landing crafts couldn't get couldn't get all the way to the beach, so they had to wade across the water first while machine guns opened up on them and artillery and everything else. It absolutely blew me away. It blows me away when I watch these things. And and like I said yesterday, I watched eight straight hours. Um, actually, I'm a little bit tired because I watched till like one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but I was watching. I couldn't stop watching what they went through. Um, Easy Company, hundred first Airborne, in this in this particular movie. But as we go through 75 years, my fear is that it becomes, as we get older and time passes, a lot of times we don't think a whole lot. We, it's hard for us to grasp what it was like in the Civil War, in the Revolutionary War, in, in other wars that are, that are it, they almost become mythical. Yeah. They almost become like, oh, did that really happen? And as as that generation starts to die off, I hope we don't forget, first of all, what caused it and the and the heroism of everyone who who
who partook in this and, and who was involved in this and, and what it all meant for our country at that time. Well, and I think you, you bring up the Civil War and, and so many of us, I remember going as a little kid, we went to, to Gettysburg. And it's like you knew something happened there, but because no one was alive to tell you the story, it's like they couldn't truly you know, explain it. You can see the battlefield. You can see spots on it where things happen. I mean, if you look, there are still spots where you can see, you know, where where bombs hit and things like that. And that's amazing that after all these years, that's withstood the the test of time like that. But I remember then being in high school and learning about the casualties at mm-hmm. Gettysburg and the casualties at Antietam and thinking to myself, wow, like going there they never told us about that like yeah. they never were like you know this was one of the bloodiest days in american history and and if hope, not the bloodiest yeah, yeah. And, and hopefully as you said that that sacrifice and not just the sacrifice but the history of that doesn't get lost over the course of time on people that maybe not might not know something about it yeah the good thing is unlike the civil war where you didn't have film yeah um very seldom could you interview these people. We have kept these people from World War II and beyond alive in film and radio and audio and everything else. So at least we have that to look back on. And they could, we, we could always hear the recorded word of them telling their stories, which is a little bit different. Well, and I think the amazing thing, too, about the time of World War II is that because radio and, and things of that you know medium were starting to grow you know there is more film mm-hmm. than you would imagine i mean they had film crews at these things like they had every single like infantry basically had their own you know guy who was taking film cuz they wanted to be able to document it which is why back in the you know 40s when the war was going on they used to show the wartime pictures that yeah. you could go see you know and and it was like Watch what our boys are doing overseas, yeah. you know, and, and filtered. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and but now we've taken all of those archives and they exist somewhere. And I know that this is something I've talked to my brother about. My papu served at Okinawa. I, I I haven't gotten to talk to him about his story, but I want to get his story on tape because I want to have it so that one day when my kids come along I can say, Here's what your papu did or your great grandfather. Yeah. Here's how he served in the war and, and here's his story. You likely It'll it'll be like pulling teeth to get it. It's hard to get it from veterans. But oh, I know. We will continue. We've got sports coming up. We've got news coming up. We've got so much more coming up. Stay tuned. You mentioned something to me. What? And you just brought it up in the news about Odell Beckham Jr. spot uh, sporting the brown uh, Jim Brown yeah vintage jersey. Um. Do we have, with all the news and with all the way sports is now, like everything else, we they micro cover. Yeah, yeah. The mini camp, mm-hmm. voluntary camp, everything is a they, everything is a controversy. Like Odell Beckham didn't show up, but one practice during the voluntary. So what? Like Duke Johnson is 
upset and Baker Mayfield is is being a jerk. I watched a whole video today of people analyzing uh, Baker Mayfield for for coming out and saying what he did against Duke Johnson. Well, I, I don't get it. Well, and, and like I was telling you, I think the thing that bothers me most is when you watch the media coverage on Twitter of different reporters and reporters that, that I've worked with before at, at finals games and whatnot. And when you see them and they're like, oh, look at this, Baker Mayfield threw a completed pass to Odell Beckham Jr. in minicamp. I'm like, great, because nobody was covering him. Like, I could have completed that pass. Well, maybe. But still, like, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the point being is that it's great that they're working together on the same field. Yes. It's great to see him in Berea. Yes. It's great to see all these players together. But I want to see him do it in the regular season. I want to see him do it when everything is on the line. When they go to Foxborough later this year to take on the Patriots and the Browns are down three late in the game, that's when I want to see the pass completed on a key third down from Baker Mayfield to Odell Beckham Jr. Do you care about the fact that Odell wasn't here? I I, I could care I, I could less. Care, yeah, no, it doesn't mean a thing. And And all this stuff with now Baker Mayfield coming out and saying it's not a distraction... It, it, and and basically saying, he basically came out and said, Duke Johnson's problem is his own problem. He said it's a self-inflicted wound. And we're not, we're going to play with the guys who are here. And whatever he does, he does. A lot of people are looking at this as saying Baker Mayfield is throwing Duke Johnson under the bus. To me, he's just saying, this is Duke Johnson's business. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that used to bother me most, and I've I've always talked to Brian Novak about this because he's always responsible for getting Kenny and JT audio, is I always said that the thing that bothered me most about when we used to cover the NBA Finals is how the night before you'd talk to LeBron at the podium and you'd ask him a series of questions about the game, about the game coming up. He'd give you the best answers to his ability. Then 10 a.m. the next morning, he wakes up, comes back into work, and goes and talks to the exact same media members, takes the exact same questions, maybe words things just a little bit different, but really is it needed? Is the constant, like, like they're interviewing Baker Mayfield every day. Yeah. What is he going to say on day three of minicamp that he can't say on day one? What, that, oh, well, you know, Odell and I today, we we didn't just, you know complete passes we ate a turkey sandwich together you know i agree and then colin coward would come out and be like oh turkey sandwiches are a sign of weakness yeah you know so it's like you know just at a point at a point the oversaturation it becomes ridiculous yeah i agree and that's why everybody keeps saying you hear athletes keep saying look this doesn't mean a thing until september yeah until we line up and play and it's really true i mean you could but but that's our world today. That's our world. Our twenty four hour news, twenty four hour sports demand stories. Yeah, and they and so if they're not there, you have to manufacture them, and it, and and that's what goes on with with the media now, and it, it's crazy. I mean, I get off these people's backs. 
Well, it's even like the NBA draft is coming up, and there's so much time that is being spent on analyzing every single player coming out of college. And it's the same with the NFL draft, and I always say this about drafts, is that it's great that we want to analyze these guys and what they did in college and what they did in high school and how fast they can run a 40, but until they play a down in the NFL or until they take their first shot in the NBA or they have to go one-on-one defensively against LeBron James the first time, you really don't know what the marking of that player is. You can have an idea. There's an eye test. There's some intangibles that you can't teach. But, you know, Zion Williamson, since the second that kid dunked a basketball, he's been on the top of everybody's radar. He could get into the NBA and fall flat on his face because maybe he's just missing something. But one of his A mid-range shot. Yeah, exactly. And those are things that, like, you know, it's great that you can dunk the basketball, but... It's only two points, yeah. and he's not going to dunk 30 times a game. I mean, when you get to the NBA, you have to have a more well-rounded game. I, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, I agree with this. There's another thing with the NBA, and, and I want to kind of tease it and start it before we get into, uh, before we go to break, but the NBA is going to stop using the term owner for its owners now to me this is this is such a nitpicky thing but they're saying that the word owner is racially insensitive in it's racial insensitivity to say owner on my business card it says owner my business card. I might have to change that. I might have to change that to cooperator. Um, but they're saying now they're calling. They're going to call. Um, call these guys governors. They're going to call them. Uh, each each team has a board of governors. They're going to call them CEOs or chairman or major. They're not going to use the term owner, even though that's what they are. I'll probably really tick you off, but I can see both sides of the story. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yes. How? I'll explain to you later. After no. The, no, I'll explain to you after the break. All right. I, 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 I'm, I'm baffled. I'm baffled. I can, I can so do I have it. to remove it from my card, too? No, because your situation is different. Why? I'll explain. I'm, I, this is called a tease. I'm trying to, you know. Well, you don't have to explain what you're doing. I know what you're doing, but I'm. I almost want an answer now, so I could get just my head, top. Of my head could explode. No, I. I, I want to save that. All right, we'll save it till after. We I want to see back. your head explode in five minutes. Well, I hope we don't have that long. Stay tuned. We'll be right back for the answer. Well, we are pleased to welcome J. Dean Carroll. Uh, he's here early. He's going to join us in the discussion we're going to have at 9 o'clock that I talked about, about uh, decriminalizing uh, or criminalizing morality by the government. But he's also involved. He sat down early with us. And, John, I'm I'm waiting with bated breath for your response to the term owners and how this is derogatory. I've discussed this with, with Jadine here, and, and he, he sees the side. So it is a predominantly African-American sport. 
and obviously many of the owners are white. So that whole idea of what used to be slavery and being owned by a white master has that connotation in some sense. Yeah. So, yeah, if they weren't being paid millions and millions of dollars, um, we all know that in the NBA, the owners don't own the team. They own the team. They own the franchise. But the players are, are in, in any sport, but mostly in basketball, in the NBA, the players control the shots. They demand they could get a head coach fired. They can get an owner fired. We've sure. seen that. They, they can do many things. They have the control. So that's a ridiculous thing to even think about. That, okay, I'm going to go back and throw this on. Uh, I'm going to make this a, uh, a slavery issue. Because it, it doesn't fit. There are four people in this room, and they're all white males. I, it's very difficult for us to understand that history. We ha- your family has not lived it. They are not presently living it, but your family hasn't lived it, and you haven't heard the stories. It's, it's just very hard. I understand the idea that the word owner could be problematic for people, but the reality is these players are, are multimillionaires playing a child's game, and they can come and they can go, but they're there by contract. They're not bound because of the color of their skin, so I think that's your your issue. Yeah, and and I and, I, and, and the fact that we, and and the simple fact that we take words that are true. He is the owner of the team, correct, but not of the people. Right, that's right. But he's the owner of the franchise of the team, and and we take words and we start eliminating. We done we've done this far too long. We eliminate words that mean exactly what they say. He is the owner of the team. And 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 we say but, oh, okay. But Joe, but here's what you gotta understand. If if I'm an owner of a team and I'm a white, usually white male, and my players are beginning to tell me that they don't like that term, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna eliminate that term. That's just a business decision. Well it becomes a it's a politically correct it, thing to say, I understand that. But um it's not a label that is derogatory. But I understand why people who have had that history can see it that way. Do, if I were the owner, I would be the owner. You know, and you want to change my title? Go, you go ahead and change my title. But I'm still the owner of the team. Well, I'm going to change mine on my card. I have to change. No, you all, don't. I have no, to reprint don't. all my business cards because no, I don't want my employees to think that I own them. They know you don't own them. Well, I was going to say the situation with Kyle Lowry the other night. Did you see about that? It was pretty bad yeah that's ridiculous where the guy pushed him yeah and he's an investor why i guess my question is why did that guy feel that he had the right to do that like why I mean, does anybody feel like they have the right to do that i don't know but I'm why saying, does why does why does uh drake feel like he has the right to stand in the I mean, sideline super fan why does drake feel like he has the right to yell and and harass the opposing team because he paid for the privilege of sitting courtside. Yes, but the fellow who pushed Lowry, in addition to the physical touching, 
also also said something to him four times. Yeah. But but why does anyone who is paid to see either paid or they, they don't have a right? Exactly. They don't have a right. It's 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 a uh, it's pre- pretension. They they think that because they're wealthy, they have the right to do whatever they want to do. And that I was going to say that whole thing, and and only because he's an owner, and because it goes into this discussion. And again, he's maybe, an investor. He's maybe, not an owner. Maybe I'm stretching here. I think he's a minority. A minority. Yeah, he, I'm pretty sure he is as well. But only because of that, like that did have a a feeling of like, what are you doing, running into me? Like, go perform for me. Like yeah. almost as if. It, well, it, it yeah, that, I think you're being very, very oversensitive. I think you're being very, yeah, very oversensitive. Why is he pushing the man at all? He he. This this person bought that seat knowing that people could yeah. run into them. Yeah, and you have you have the audacity to push the guy. No, I agree. It? He's banned oh, for a year, he and he's be. and he's got to pay a five hundred good thousand dollar fine. I agree with yeah, you. No, the That'll NBA is very. With him. <laughs> I agree. He'll with remember you. that. I agree with you hundred percent. He has no right, no. nor does anyone else no, have sure. a right to push or harass a person out on the floor. It'd, it'd be like you. Going to a concert and going up on stage and pushing the performer. The word, going to a Madonna concert and going up and intentionally harassing her. The word fan is derived from the word fanatic. And when people, for whatever reason, go to a sporting event, they think they have license to do and say whatever they want to do. Yeah. And, you know, that, that speaks to um, a lack of civility in our society. To Bingo. Bingo. I think, and, and I think, honestly, I believe... Things are going to get worse, but we've we've diluted the diluted the the topic. We have to be careful that we don't eliminate every single word <laughs> that we have in the English language to try and be politically correct. When if you look up the definition of owner, it is exactly what these guys really are. And and I think we have become a nation, not only a nation that is uncivilized to a lot as far as how we treat each other, but also being overly sensitive to words. But but words have impact. They do, but 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 words are just words. And and yes, they do have impact. We should not allow those words to have the impact that they have. Yeah, I, I agree. We can control that. Well, and and I think that the reason why that happens, though, is is because of what Mr. Caro said here, is that you have a a situation of the historical impact of what things have had over the yeah, time. Yeah, and and you know what? If someone says something, oh, calls me a wop, we're going to have a problem. I don't know if we're going to have a problem. Uh, if it's I mean, me, but we're we, having a problem. Yeah, we'd be. I'd be a little bit up. I'd be a little bit upset. But I'm not going to say you can't use that word anymore. Oh, I'd say you can use that word, but I get. I get to respond to it. Bingo, bingo. That's called a fighting word. Yes, but I don't say you can't use that. Oh, but that's it, true. And I don't want to get into this discussion like as a whole because it would be a really long discussion. But isn't this why we're having the discussion of of reparations? At this point, you yeah, know, that, to me, with certain uh, people, that's a I mean, difficult I, issue. I know that's I know that's a different topic, but I mean, it, it you know, that's why this discussion is being had. It is. I mean, it's it's a it all filters into it as as one large discussion of 
what happens because of what happened 140 years ago for people who aren't even alive anymore. My, my view on that is you, you got to have the discussion because it's part of our history. It's a, Absolutely. It's a, it's a very well, sad part of our history. Well, you can't sweep any part of our history under the rug. That's right. That's right. We, we, but we, we do are that all who, the time. We are who we are, warts and all. That's true. And that's what has made us who we are. For good and bad. For good and bad. Yes. And, and don't ignore the good and don't ignore the bad. But don't throw out. Don't act like it didn't happen. Don't throw out words. Don't do that. Talk about these things. Discuss them. But don't say, all right, you're no longer owners. You're CEOs. Uh, we got to go. We got to take a break. And when we come back, we uh, are going to continue our discussion with, uh, oh, we're going to be very, I, I love this discussion. And it goes hand in hand with what we're talking about now, is the decriminalizing what does does is it the government's role to legislate morality? And we're going to be joined by Pastor Walter Moss, J.D. Carroll's going to stay on, and we're going to also have Dr. Tim King, and we're going to have this discussion right now when we come back. Stay tuned. Hour number two of the week that was, and we are joined. I am joined now in studio and on the phone by. Uh, Three people that I absolutely respect and admire. Uh, probably, probably three of the the most that I respect and admire for their opinions, for the way they I can carry on conversations with them, real conversations, and they give very interesting and diverse perspectives in in many issues. and And that is uh, Pastor Walter Moss. J. Dean Carroll, and Dr. Tim King. And I want to thank you all for coming in and being part of this. And Tim, thank you for joining us via phone. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. Is Tim there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Congratulations on your day. you got a busy day. Your daughter, One daughter's getting married? Actually, she's she's off the payroll. She got married last night. Okay, and then your other daughter is graduating today, right? Yes, she is from Lake High School. Congratulations! Congratulations! Well done. Well, well, thank you, thank you. She's off the payroll. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> uh, that's that's a misconception, by the way. I know she's uh-oh, still on. <laughs> I I wanted to get into this as, and it's interesting because a lot of stuff has come up this week and. Uh, you know, there was the prostitution sting in the Belden Village area where a group of people were arrested for prostitution, human trafficking. You also have, we also had stories this week of Oakland, California joining Denver, Colorado and decriminalizing uh, magic mushrooms, hallucinogenic mushrooms, peyote. Um, we have a, uh, there was another story this week about social media is fueling a booming online prostitution ring, um, and it, and it gets into all this stuff. I start I, I look at the 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 increase in drug overdoses, all the things that we continue to battle: gangs, cartels, smuggling, the whole thing. And for decades, the world has tried to stop this. They've tried to control behavior through legislation. 
And whether it's drugs, gambling, prostitution, they gave up on gambling now and basically said it's legal. I guess the theme of this discussion today and, and the first question is, can and should a government attempt to legislate morality? Well, you know, I feel that in our na- I can only speak for our nation. Um, I think, you know, Christian Judeo nation has tried to line up in some areas with uh, its belief in the in the Bible or in the Torah. And I think, unfortunately, you have men, people, men and women who are not perfect, uh, who try to make uh, laws uh, that they think will help people, will help the uh, nation. And I think that over a period of time, uh, centuries, years, that, um, you know, we are, we make mistakes. And maybe uh, some of those things, you know, we should not have done and then some that we should. But I think if we look at where we are today, uh, when we look at the government, the, the politics, uh, I don't know if now if people make them, is it really for the people? Is it really for the good of the people? Or is it because, you know, this is what we want to do politically? And I think that because we as man, you know, the, the when we put ourselves into something, uh, you know, I feel like we we mess it up. Um, and I'm, I'm not speaking as, uh, if, if people know, I, I work in the prosecutor's office at Community Initiative Reduced Violence, so I'm not speaking anything as being a part of the prosecutor's office, trying to speak from my heart as an individual and pastor, community person. And I just think that some things it's almost like we, we make experiments and they go wrong. And, you know, we lose sight of, just as you just said about what happened last week in uh, Belden Village, uh, the human trafficking uh, situation. And my thing is... Uh, how do we, you know, even if we change some of the laws and try to um, legalize the drugs, the prostitution, to me it's always, well, who who is going to make those laws and who's going to oversee that? Who's going to make sure that if we do this that we have no fentanyl in, our, in the drugs? And that's kind of always been my concern. You know, who sets those new rules and the and the changes that we make that yeah. I just feel like, do we really know how to do that yeah. as, as a nation that uh, because of, of the politics involved and because uh, what I feel like to some people do things because they going to, they're going to make some money in this, mm-hmm. you know, that, that whole piece. And so I don't know if as a nation now, and I've heard you share this and I've been in other meetings with other individuals, judges, uh, you know, is America at the place that we can change laws? Are we or eliminate them? Eliminate them, right? I don't know if, as a nation, are we there? Because my concern is with dealing with the sex trafficking, as our office deals with. You know, who's going to control if we say we're going to legalize prostitution? Who's going to set the new rules and the new guidelines? Yeah. And then what's going to happen with those pimps that's out there now? Yeah. Because a lot of people are making a lot of money. You know, on the way that the system is now. Yes, and not, and it's not controlled. Right, right. And so I guess my whole thing, you know, I'm not an attorney, is, again, how do we, if we're going to change some of these things, who's going to be in charge? And, and we have, Tim is only with us for a short time, so 
Tim, from from a clinical psychologist perspective, from someone who's and, and from a father and everything else, I, I I want you to get into what you think because I personally, as you know, do not think we can. It has been a mistake to try and legislate morality. Yeah, yeah, Joe. It's a it's a, an interesting subject, um, uh, you know, for sure. But from you know, from my perspective, when we talk about these, uh, the, you know, these these subjects, uh, it seems like my, you know, my mind always goes back to what I just uh, had a conversation about with a uh, with judge in the Stark County Courts. Um, it was a rare occasion where both uh, opposing attorneys. Uh, allowed me to go back into the judges chambers and, and, and speak with a judge individually uh, in regards to uh, a case that I was testifying on. And, and she and I had this conversation about everybody that comes into her courtroom um, being a human being. You know, we have a listening audience full of human beings today. You, we have a, a guest panel uh, that everybody would say fits the title of a human being. And and that's the question is what what constitutes a, a human being hmm. and so people come to my office um, primarily for mental health for some psych- psychological intervention for some mental health intervention and certainly uh, mental health is real and we want um, people to be as mentally healthy as possible uh, and and physically healthy as possible but there are those in the listening listening audience that would say that the human being is a trichotomous human being that we are a mind body and spirit right. and and we have and we have to explore uh that uh because then it helps us to um to answer the questions we're going to have on the radio today and that is how how do we help the uh, american people and and you know a lot of other countries follow america's lead um, and, and, and even help other countries by um, having some guidelines. I mean, a society without rules, right? A school without rules, a family without rules. It's chaos. I mean, it's, it's chaos. Yeah. But, but, but let's define rules versus criminalization. I, 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 I think you could still have rules without criminalizing. Right, right. Am I wrong? Well, no, no. I think I think I think you're right in the, in this sense. Okay, that that um, if we harm a human being, okay, uh, from from a standpoint of, of of abuse or assault or you know damage their emotional well being, their mental well being, certainly their physical well being. I don't think anybody's going to argue as to whether assault uh, should be a crime or not. And so if we're harming someone's well-being um, and it's not healthy for them, there has to be some sort of, uh, of, of rule uh, out there to, to, protect that, to protect that person. And so, again, we're talking about who gets to make up, you know, those, those rules, right. uh, I guess. Yeah. Go ahead. From a, from a legal perspective, the answer to the question of can you – uh, legislate morality? The answer is no. Uh, we have example after example of that. Uh, there was a time in this country when a black child could not go to school with a white child, when a uh, black person could not marry a white person, when contraceptives could not be sold to married couples. 
Those were morality-based decisions, and they have failed. What we look at, and to your point, Tim, if there are three interests, there are three interests that are recognizable as governmental, governmentally valid interests. So if I punch Joe in the face, that's a personal interest. He has a personal interest in body integrity. Um, that's a crime. If I steal his Cascade Audi, right, <laughs> that's a property crime. That's a governmental interest. Or if I pollute the water or pollute the air, that's a governmental interest. Those are the bases upon which government is properly acting. But moral bases are generally condemned, and they fail repeatedly because morality is a shifting model. It's a shifting mm-hmm. paradigm. And whose yep. morality you're talking about? If we want to have Sharia yep. law, that's a completely different morality-based uh, process. So we reject that generally from a legal viewpoint. Morality-based decisions generally are condemned. But a personal, a property, or a public interest are supportable. So we, I, I guess I'm looking at this and saying, all right, the idea behind legislation against a certain behavior is simply to stop it. Correct. And why haven't we learned as a nation over the history and, and all the failings that this isn't effective? We have learned that. We just refuse to acknowledge the, the fact. I mean, we saw the same thing in prohibition of alcohol. Right, right. And we saw the rise of the mafia. Correct. We saw the rise of criminal activity right. because, but we, why? We because saw, people wanted to drink alcohol. And they wanted to drink it more. Right. Now, you had, you had a group of people, the temperance, uh, the temperance mm-hmm. movement. Remember, Carrie Nation. You'd go into a bar with a hatchet yeah. and, and chop up the bar. Well, it, you cannot legislate morality for people. Morality for people comes from a variety of sources. Their culture, their family, their church. That, that's where morality right. decisions are based. And they're they're individual, and this is a question we have to take a we have to go to break for news and everything. But I want to continue. And Tim, I don't know if you could stay, but I, I get it, and and I thank you so much for your input if you can't, and and congratulations to you again. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll be around for a little while. Joe. Okay. Uh, I, the question I have here is, when you look at these decisions. I guess I'm looking at it as an individual choice. Mm-hmm. If a person chooses to do drugs, chooses. If a person chooses, and let's say this is tough for me as a religious person, as a, as a Christian man, mm-hmm. as a person who grew up in a Catholic church, I, I, if a person chooses to prostitution as a career, chooses, in, in an environment that is a, a legal, established environment. Uh, if a person chooses to do these things and doesn't hurt others, that is their choice. And, and should we criminalize that person for making that moral choice? Does we that do. make sense? Uh, it does, yeah, but we so, do. So, so, so I have let's... to. I go ahead, Tim, real quick before yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was in another case where uh, a person was, you know, was convicted of, of perjury, and and so it, it is lying in a courtroom a, a, a criminal offense, or is it is it immoral? No, it's, it's a, a it's a it's a, offense it's a criminal offense yeah. because okay. it affects other people. It affects the public interest. Right. And okay. If you, if you don't have okay. truthfulness in a court proceeding under oath. 
You don't have a okay. court proceeding. Yeah, and and so and so the issues that we're talking about today, how do they influence, you know, uh, other people in the sense of legalization drugs and, or or prostitution? And the question I would ask as we go to break, and I will come back and discuss this, is does criminalization cause more harm to the general public versus legalizing or decriminalizing all of these moral issues? And that's a that's a deep question that I'm going to give to all of you. And when we come back, we'll get the answers to that. Stay tuned. The week there was will continue. I know it seems like an hour ago, but they're still here. Pastor Walter Moss, yes. J. Dean Carroll, Tim King, Dr. Tim King. Um, and I left you with the question. And I'll just be up front. My, and you know this. I, my contention is legalizing or criminalizing vices, morality, causes, has caused gangs. The reason they're in gangs, togetherness is one, but they make money. Right. Has caused the, the, organization of cartels that have become stronger than most countries they are in. Um, it, it, it at one time caused Chicago to be controlled by a mob, maybe still. Uh, New York, major cities around the country. It has caused countless damage to others. Um, and, and my contention is, would less... Criminalization, would eliminating criminalization of morality, of vices, actually increase the the living conditions or, or lessen the dangers to the general public? Tim? So you're saying, Joe, less, less government, which uh, there's a whole host of people out there that would, would, would applaud uh, you. Um, the question still, you know, remains of for the people, the the, the well the well being of the people, and um, who uh, is going to, you know, moderate curtail those things that we know uh, through research are harmful um, right. for the for the individual well being. And let me let me ask you this in 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 line with that, when they decriminalized alcohol. I think they've done a pretty good job of organizing how alcohol is distributed, how it is taxed, how it is regulated. Um, couldn't that be duplicated in every area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and is the mo- I mean, we are asking a question of motive, which you know right. I think is is a good question. The, the, those that are that are for the criminalization, those that are against the criminal, what's, what's the motive? And if, if the motive for the government being involved uh, is, is dollars and cents, uh, probably a less pure motive than the motive of wanting the best for the entire well-being of the human being uh, and the people who, who encompass the country. And, you know, so... Uh, again, I would even go back to asking the question, as I do in my office, to parents of, you know, hundreds of, of, of adolescents that we work with, you know, have you taught your child that it is wrong to lie? Yes. Well, my next question is why? You know, why is it wrong, you know, uh, to, to lie? And so we have to go back, I think, to, to motive, and we have to go back to, again, 
what's what's best for well-being. So if we don't have government involved in in, in, in criminalizing some of these things, and I'm just playing the devil's advocate because I'm with you. I'm with you too, Joe. But if we don't, then then who? Somebody needs to step up um, and make some. Because I say, here's what it makes a human relationship work: two words, love. And we could talk a, a whole show or two just about that word, because I find out most people, uh, even most married couples, have different definitions of love. If I make them write them down, believe it or not, but love, it's the greatest motivation on the face here. And then secondly, boundaries. Mm-hmm. Rules. And uh, I know we're talking about the difference between rules and something that's a crime, but um, that's why it is a difficult subject and a good, a good subject for us to discuss this morning, Joe. Yeah, thank you, Tim. And I, I Pastor Moss, I, I guess you look at this, and, and I battle this. Um, from, from a spiritual standpoint, it's hard to say people misconstrue me saying decriminalize all morality as my saying I approve right. of these right. things. I don't. But criminalizing them doesn't seem to solve the problem. And I think you can decriminalize without approving. Right. Right. I was a part of it, the late Judge Clyde as a group and they still meet uh monthly and that's one of the things that they he had uh advocated of changing some of our laws, decriminalizing especially the the drugs. But I guess my thing is is even that you have to have some boundaries and then, you know, how do we get to the place where we can start actually doing that? I mean there's no one else we're talking about on the radio, they talk about it at that meeting once a month. But who else is talking about how do we get to that point where we can really be serious about? Can we really look at that decriminal? I mean, how do we get to that point? Well, what, what what's, ha- what's happening now mm-hmm. is it's happening little by mm-hmm. little. You see cities and you see states <laughs> decriminalizing mm-hmm. pot. Now you've got cities that are decriminalizing hallucinogenic mushrooms and peyote. You see cities, you see some states like Nevada that don't criminalize prostitution. They control it. So I think there's there's examples out there mm-hmm. of how to do it. And eventually we're going there. The whole country now is gambling. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. legal now. Mm-hmm. So yep. we're, we're getting to this point slowly where people are realizing that legislating and criminalizing isn't the answer. I would rather have heroin be out on the streets that is regulated and doesn't contain fentanyl and doesn't contain these things that the government regulates it and licenses it and then we treat people like we do alcoholism um versus doing what's going now where people are dying by the dozens i start from the idea that most people are going to engage in moral activity However they define that, through their church, through their community, through their culture, they're going to be moral. It's a very, a very small percentage of our society is immoral. <laughs> and we know throughout history that you, can't, you, cannot, you cannot legislate morality. So you know, that's my starting point. If there's a victim, then government can regulate it. But with, for example, gambling, most people can gamble, walk away from it. 
you have to draw a distinction now between those people who can gamble occasionally and those people who have a gambling addiction. Same thing with certain drugs. You distinguish between the recreational user of marijuana and the person who's injecting heroin. Mm. And if you talk to those people, it's not a choice. It's not a choice to be a heroin addict. It's a compulsion. Uh, we see that with the opioid addiction problem. Uh, doctors overprescribe because of the pharmaceutical pressure to uh, prescribe opioids. When they become unavailable, they seek something else. They have now become an addict. Mm -hmm. So the idea that most, most progressive legislators see now is that we couldn't uh, legislate our way out of a drug problem. We have to treat our way out of a drug problem. And we're going to have an example of that for, uh, if we look at Colorado, we look at other states. We have many laboratories in the United States because we're a republic. And the idea is that let's see what happens in Colorado. Let's see what happens in Ohio. Let's see what happens in California. Is there a way to regulate, such as you suggest, the use of marijuana as opposed to, for example, heroin? Now, that's got to be a treatment component. Right. But there is a difference between drugs. But none you could keep people from dying of overdoses. That's correct, and we do that. We do that. No, uh, I mean, if it were more regulated. That's correct. Methadone. Look at, look at use of methadone uh, pioneered in, in New York City, New York State. Uh, but, if, but if you look at the addiction problem as separate from a recreational drug problem, like, like marijuana, I think that's going to be much, much more effective. If you talk to addicts, uh, they hate their lives, but they have no way out of their lives because of the, the perfect meshing of the drug mm -hmm. and the brain. It, it's just wow. incredibly satisfying. Wow. And so uh -huh. the, the reality is that people are driven by primal needs. So are you going to eliminate prostitution? No. Now, do you want to have sex trafficking? No, because there's a victim there, right. the, the female. Right. But prostitution is, has happened for thousands right. and thousands of oh, years. Yeah. You're not going to legislate that. But having said that, it makes legislators feel more comfortable if they can take a stand against those things by passing legislation. They're ineffective. So it's political. It, very political. I, I, you know, I'm hard on crime. I'm tough on crime. Richard Nixon. Yeah, I, like, I like that word laboratory because, uh, you know, people, people want the truth. When they come to my office, they want the truth. I think that those that are listening to the show right now, Joe, they want the truth. And there's another deep question for us is, where do we find the truth? And, and I, I think we do find the truth in laboratories. One of the ways the truth can be delivered, uh, according to some people, is good science. My, right? my reference, uh, though, is to social laboratories. So yeah. you, have, you, have, you have 50 yeah. social laboratories. And if we look right. at Nixon's war on crime, he included in that marijuana. Marijuana is right. a Schedule One drug akin to cocaine mm -hmm. and heroin. You've got to be kidding me. But that was a mm -hmm. political reaction to misunderstandings and look where it's gotten us yeah terrible and, position yeah. and and i have to say this you you brought up one point only one dean well you brought up many but but there's one point that i hung on and that was in our population there's there's a small minority of people who get trapped in the addiction correct however when you criminalize an activity that suddenly expands that Tremendously, because now you no longer have just those persons that are addicted. You have those people who prey follow, on the addicted. Follow the money. You right. have you have the other people who are have have to enforce 
right. against those if, people. If you ban drugs, someone will fill that yeah. void. Yes. Right. Whether it be from Mexico yeah. or any other country. And what fill. happened to organized crime when... It grew. Yeah, but what happened when alcohol, when the 18th Amendment was it grew. disbanded? Well, they they had other issues. They went into drugs. They went into drugs. Right. Because that was the next illegal That's thing. Right. They went into prostitution. They will always meet the needs they of went a into gambling. Group of people. That's correct. <laughs> so they went into the, the vices, the illegal activities fuel an underground economy and they fuel powerful gangs. If you look at the mafia in the 1930s and 40s in New York State, they were, they were focusing on um, providing alcohol. When that became legal, they had to switch. They switched to drugs. Some of the mafia families did not want to do that. Right. They were more reliant upon uh, gambling and loan sharking and prostitution. Mm. But, but the reality is the money was there, and they went to the money. Yeah. And I think one of the issues now is employers uh, in Ohio, are we, they're still saying that it's illegal for a person to be coming to work marijuana in their system. That's correct. But the reason for that is the federal government has not changed this, right. this view. Right. And so you've got miracle mar- uh, medical marijuana in a number of states, but it's still banned right. by the federal That's government. Right. Yeah. And, and, and here, the other part is, just like with alcohol, you've got to enforce, you get behind a wheel, you're, right. el- you're, dry, you're with Different alcohol. Different issue. Different issue, because that's conduct, and that puts society at risk. Yes. So you can punish that. Yes. What I, if I were king of the United States... I would mandate that every legislator smoke marijuana and see what the effect of it is. I'm not talking repeatedly, just one time. Just see the effect of it. And, then, and they're not going to go out and rape, and they're not going to go out and kill, and they're not going to go out and steal. That would change the attitude completely. Now, a lot of people say, well, it's a gateway drug. But I don't, I don't know uh, about Psychologically, that. Uh, some people Tim, say Tim, you that. know that. Right. Mm-hmm. You're right, exactly. And I, I think there's research out there to back that up, uh, Joe, that it's not just you saying that. It's a, it is a gateway drug. Um, you know, and, and we have to consider that, that research in any decision we make. I, let me throw another iron in the fire if I can. If not government, Joe, we said who, and, 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 and we're talking about, uh, you know, school program after school program when it comes to just say no to drugs. Um, and, and then the church, you know, you mentioned Joe being raised into it. You know, I, I know the government has, has picked up the ball with a good motive, in some areas where the local churches have dropped the ball. Right. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I think about, you know, just the, the issue of taking care, the principle of taking care of widows and, mm-hmm. and orphans. Yes. Right? There's all kinds of programs out there that, that are government-funded, uh, government intervention. And really, uh, those of us, Pastor Moss, I think you'd agree that would see that as the church's responsibility, right. people of the church. So, so yeah, I mean... Um, I, and I'm not saying, Tim, to re, to eliminate the government. The government switches its role from criminalization, incarceration, and enforcement to treatment and regulation. So, so they switch. Like right now, the state governments control how alcohol is distributed. Correct. Right. Regulated. And they regulate it and they tax it. Right. And so, I, I guess that's what I'm saying is now instead of the government completely abdicating from it. You you switch from to treatment and regulation. Look at look at the way Holland deals with prostitution and drugs. Now they're having some difficulties there, but uh, their approach was regulate it, regulate prostitution, regulate drugs. Now 
you know, there are some issues currently, but that's a valid approach. I agree. Mm. And I, I, we have to take a break. Stephen's, I think, panicking here, but no, he's really not. But we have to take a break. Yes. We'll come back. Can we continue? Tim, do you have to go? Yeah, I do, fellas. I need to, I need to run. Uh, Congratulations to you, and well thank done. you so much. Congratulations. Hey, thank you, you. Guys, it's been good being on the radio with you. Yeah, always, Tim. We we love having you on, and and congratulations. And please uh, apologize to your wife for me for getting you on and making you do this for an hour today. Uh, no problem, no problem. All right, you guys. We'll see you later. Thanks, Bye-bye. Tim King, Doctor Tim King. We'll be right back with Jadine Carroll and Pastor Walter Moss. As we can we continue this a little bit? I have no life. All right. <laughs> okay. We'll be back. We are going to wrap this up with. Uh, and it's a great discussion, and I thank you both so much thank you. for spending Saturday with me as long, uh, along with Tim. And um, I, w- I wanted to get the the only true way to to change a culture and to eliminate all these things is to do and and God forbid we ever get to this point, but is to do what China's doing right now, which is their social credit system. Hmm. where you can't get a loan, you can't fly in a plane, you kids can't go to school, you can't do anything depending on your social credit score. And you actually raise your social credit score by turning in neighbors that are doing things. If you default on a loan, if you do drugs, if you stay on the Internet too long, if you do this, you get negative points. And the whole society is built on social credit now. And they've gone to this, and people are already saying they go to board a plane and their social credit score is too low, and they're forced to take a train or a car. Yeah, I wouldn't use China as a model for anything. Right. No, but, but a, what I'm right, saying is... I got the idea, but, yeah. but it's, it's a, it's a um, repressive government, mm-hmm. Yes, and they are trying to chill human rights. They are trying to eliminate any type of uh, human right, right. Uh, or I, any I type even, of human behavior well, well right. they, no they are they are moderating human behavior but in an inappropriate way and in a way right. which uh, could not work in the united but states but my point is only this and i'm not using them as example as as okay this is how this is where we should go no, you're not. i'm using it as an example of we're doing it halfway we're we're criminalizing activity moral activity but we're not truly, it's not truly changing. It'll never change the hearts of people. And nor, nor right. will China. Nor will China. It'll just penalize them even more every day of their lives. But so we, we have reached a point in our society where I think we've become smart enough, hopefully, to know that as long as it, in in my mind, as long as it doesn't, let, let's come up with a way that affects the least people Negative. negatively and, and allows people to make their own choices in life mm-hmm. without, without putting that stigma on them. We talked about people going to work. You have people right. that, Pastor Moss, that you know, because of the, the criminal record and because of all these things, they can't get jobs when they come out, so it becomes a vicious cycle. Right, and 
we talked about them even now using marijuana and they know they can't go and take a drug test to get a job. And yet they want a job. And they say, if I get a job, I'll stop some of these illegal activities. So I'm just saying to me, we're catch 22. Right, right. You, you, you have a spectrum of approaches. You can, you can have no, no penalties for a behavior. You can have terrible penalties for a behavior. Or in the middle, you can have consideration of why you're engaging in that behavior. I think that's where we're moving as a society. I think we should move, though, to there are no punishments well, for personal I'm behavior that too, but if I'm you saying, do it within the regulations. But I'm saying that's exactly right. If you do it within the regulation, then you don't, then you don't criminalize behavior, mm-hmm. you don't prohibit them from getting a job, and you deal with the underlying problem. If you, if you always deal with the motivation, you're going to be more successful as opposed to dealing only with the conduct. I'll, I'll finish up with this. Will we ever reach... It was heartening that the nation that that our federal government said gambling. Let's let's eliminate this farce. The people are gambling like crazy. Let's just say it's okay. Well, that's the United States Supreme Court. Okay, but all right. I'm sorry. Yeah, and and so now you get you get cities gambling. You get cities and states saying this and this and this and this. We're going to legalize this. We're going to decriminalize this. And I like saying decriminalizing versus legalizing, mm-hmm. because basically you're not condoning it, you're just decriminalizing it. Will we ever get to a point where this country realizes that the war on drugs, uh, all these things are not working and we're just going to stop? I mean, personally, I said you don't get it now. I mean, since the 60s, we haven't had a, I mean, we haven't taken down the, the drug cartel why we don't get it? I don't. I don't know if we ever get to that place because it's the political, and you know, to say that we're going to destroy or take the drugs out of community, community, but we never have done it. Yes. And so I don't know if I guess my whole heart in this whole conversation is the right people who will sit at the table and say we got to do this. We can say it. But will the people in power? That's the question. And, and I think we're moving in that direction. We see recovery courts in, in the mm. criminal justice system. So we're beginning to realize it's been a failure. Right. And so we're beginning to realize that a different approach, maybe a, an approach worth taking, is treatment as opposed to punishment. And punishment has, gotten, punishment has gotten us into a terrible place. Yeah. It's affected more people and in, has, in a multitude of ways. And it has created an entire underground culture. If, right. if I'm a felon, if I'm a felon, the first, the first question on my application for a job is, are you a felon? Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been some states that have eliminated that question. They call it eliminate the box. So you don't see as an employer, you don't see the felony conviction. So you invite the right. guy in, right. and now I'm looking at the content of his character as opposed to his background. Yes. And I'm looking at the content of his character in terms of who he is and what he does now, not what he did in the past. And also I wanted to say that there is some companies, thank God, who even hire felons, even hire uh, – I know of an individual that was a murderer and recently got a job. He said, all I want to do is take care of my family. And that, to hear that conversation, that blessed me. The, rea- yeah. the reality is if you if you look at criminal activity – a murderer is probably a more trustworthy mm-hmm. person than, for example, a burglar. You know, burglars, Whoa. you talk to these people. I'm telling you, you talk to burglars, you talk to rapists, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to be people who, they're almost, they almost cannot be rehabilitated. A murderer is going to kill somebody 
usually on spontaneous right. action, emotional action. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, read a book called Accomplices to Crime by uh, Tim Merton, and uh, he would put he put murderers in the in the guard towers, inmate murderers in the guard towers, because they were the most reliable people. They, and he gave them weapons. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is interesting. I, I want to thank you both. Sure, I I, I know there folks. are so many more oh, areas yeah. we could go in this, but. Uh, I uh, I love you both. Yeah, you, 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 I'm married, Joe. I keep telling you. Something. I'm not. I don't <laughs> want you in that way. I um, but I I thank you for taking time again You're on welcome. your Saturday. I thought I think this was a very needed conversation, a very candid and good one. Thank you so much, thank you. Yeah, Jadine Carroll, Pastor Walter Moss, Doctor Tim King was with us earlier, and uh, we will continue with the week that was right after this. I want to thank Doctor Tim King. Um, J. Dean Carroll and uh, Pastor Walter Moss for being here, taking time out of the day. Discuss a very, I, I, I think it's an important topic. It's one that's that kind of drives me crazy mentally um, because I think that more people are hurt in the general public from uh, criminalizing activities versus not. Uh, I, I might add this. You know, John brought this up last week, and I think it was an important part, is when you talk about, you start talking about choices that individuals make. I don't throw abortion into that. Because it, to me, it's another life. You are affecting any time you make a choice that affects another life harms another life, that suddenly takes it into a whole nother realm. And so I, you know, it, whether I kill someone, whether I harm someone, or whether I decide to abort someone, those don't fall in the same category as drugs as you deciding to do drugs or anything else is there a caller yeah tom is on line one tom what's up <laughs> good morning joe good morning yeah i was listening to your uh, interview with those two gentlemen but all i hear is talk 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 and nobody does anything well but they 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 they're in the same boat as i am tom as as we all are where we see these things we know it's not right, but just like Dean Carroll said, there's people who want retribution. They they want to punish people. They like the fact that people are being punished. For I don't think that's the answer. I think just these drugs, <laughs> as long as this country has an appetite to escape, and that's what drugs are all about, to get away from stress, relieve stress, from their everyday life, their reality, no matter what it is. That's what they're trying to get away from, they're to quit thinking of, oh, my problem's this and, and my problem's that. We all do it to a certain extent. It's called to relax and, and to uh, just alleviate some stress. But I say legalize all the drugs. I Take said away. that. I think that's what we were talking about. But, but and this is going to slow down all of the drugs coming up from the South. But if, if you do alleviate the availability of it, which would be to, to stop it all, 
if you can get rid of the availability of it and make it to where you have to go and buy it either at a pharmacy or a drug outlet, whatever it is, marijuana outlet, it's going to alleviate that problem of availability. And I was just telling my wife, you know, if, there, if you're at a party and Mary, Mary doesn't have any access to any kind of drugs other than marijuana, maybe some cocaine, but the fentanyl and all that other stuff isn't there, or even maybe the marijuana and the coke aren't there, she's not going to do it. If she can't have access to it, she's probably not going to do it. But you will have access to it if you have to. If you can go to a, a liquor store like marijuana well, store, a drug then it, store. Then it comes down to either overdose or addiction. And I say stupid is as stupid does. Yeah. Like the guy that you give six Narcans to save his life, only to find out that later on his brain is so scrambled He's in a mental institute, and he'll never do anything for the rest of his life. Well, I, so I, I say let, let, let them kill themselves. No, Tom. Yes. No. He's trying to save everybody, but once we save them, we don't want to have anything to do with them. Well, uh, and that's a good point. I but that but I don't want to. I you know I I I have talked I have talked to drug dealers. I've had them on this show. I've talked to drug uh, to, of heroin addicts. We had a whole show with them. These people don't want to do this. They're no, hooked. It was a choice in the beginning. But it was. But you no, know it's what? A necessity. But well, it became in in a lot of cases. In these two guys' cases, it became a necessity because they were on painkillers. Okay, and then they and then they became. Then the pain, then the, then the, the um, it's not a week. Went away, and, and, and all of these other things went away. Tom, I usually agree with you, but in all cases, in in many cases with drugs, it is not a weakness. It is an addiction. It is a sickness that you and I could take Percocet for a bad shoulder, which I have, and I don't get addicted to it. But some people could take Percocet the first time, and they're hooked. It's, well, it's a, I, don't, I don't believe that, and I don't think you do either. I, I do believe that, Tom. I, I, don't, I don't believe that once you... Well, then that, that's just a choice that you don't want any pain at all. Well, I'm sorry that everybody has some kind of pain. Well, you, take a, you take an ibuprofen <clears throat> for it, and you go on. I know people. My mother. But, but this has nothing. Pain. This she this, doesn't take anything. But ultimately, Tom, this is not the the point that I was making. Well, all we're going to do is we're just going to keep talking about this, and nothing's going to get done. No, it's getting. I think regulate as much as you can, just like with the prostitution. Yes. Legalize prostitution. Make these girls go in every two weeks for a test. And and also. You compensate them. You do things to make it. And, and as sad as this is, this is hard for me to say. But they may choose to be in that profession, like they do in Las Vegas, like they do in other places. And and we even talked during the break. It will help eliminate forcing women into that profession. Right. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Take away the availability. Yes, I agree. And 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 let, and regulate these things. Now, you're still going to have that fringe. You're always going to have that fringe that they don't want to have to go in and take a test, or they're still going to sell that those drugs on the corner because they got they got access. Yeah, but it becomes it becomes but it becomes minimal. Right. It, it, exactly. it, it becomes the cartel suddenly 
have to switch their game. But when they took these Vicodins and all these pain pills off, alleviated it from the doctor's prescription, that's when all of this fentanyl started. And as long as uh, 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 China is mass-producing this fentanyl and sending it to Mexico, coming up through our southern borders, if people in this country don't think that we have a problem at our southern border, well, they're just kidding themselves. Well, I know there's that. A, there's a, a lot of things that are going on down there that we have no idea. But the biggest problem is the drugs. I agree. With cocaine and heroin. And I agree. Marijuana. And why? Because it, And why? Because it's illegal. Well, the biggest problem is that we have this appetite for this these drugs. I know, but why? And I'll get why. Tom, and Tom, I've got to Tom, I've got to go to a break. But the reason, the reason, it's in high demand, is because it's taboo. You I have, don't think that. I think it. It's. I got to go, man. Okay, Judd. Thanks. Hey, Tom. Thanks. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion or other discussions. We may move into something else. I don't know. I've got a little time to think about it. Stay tuned. I beg to differ with you. Do you? They do have a LeBron, and he's going to come back, and Golden State will win three in a row. You think KD is going to allow them to win three in a row? Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see. Absolutely. They do have a LeBron. And he's been hurt for a while. But he's going to be back. You think he's going to play in Game 5? Yes. I mean, I could... Let me let me say, I, I could totally see that happening with KD. Yep. But I also know that it's going to be really hard. Well, I guess... No. If they win Game 5, it becomes easy then. Yes. Then they go back and win Game 6 under pressure's on. And then Game 7 becomes... But Kawhi Leonard has been playing out of his mind in this series. Not with KD in the game. The game completely changes. See, that's the the sports cast that I just gave. That was the Cavs fan in me coming out. Yeah. That I don't want to see the Warriors win. Yeah. I know. I agree with you. I don't want to see him win either. But I'm telling you, they have... I know. He's, a, he's the elephant in the room. Thank you. And the, I'm just hoping he doesn't and the come elephant, back. <laughs> uh, he's going to come back. Is the elephant finally healthy? <clears throat> I don't know if he's healthy, but he's coming back. <laughs> he's going to play. And and he, even three quarters, gives makes total difference. Well, because you have to account for him then. Absolutely. Yep. How important is he? I, I did want to get into this story because we were talking about opioids. We were talking about drugs. We were talking about legalization. We were talking about all this stuff. But a doctor... In uh, in the Mount Carmel Health System in Central Ohio, um, was just he, he. This has been a six month investigation, but he had been giving super doses of opioids to. He, he's charged now in the deaths of twenty five people. Now, two things here. How scary is this? Um, that a doctor in a major health system was purposely overdosing people um, and that this health system allowed him to be in there and do this over a period of years. Um, now, 
I looked at it. I tried to read the story, and there's there's multiple indications that what he was doing was assisting suicide. He was basically hastening the death of sick people that were already terminal. I don't know. That's the thing. I'm trying to get. I was trying to read. I read multiple stories. I think some of them were terminal. They were aged. They were very sick. Um, because doesn't that go into the whole kind of Doctor Kevorkian? Yes, type yes. thing. I mean, it's it's almost the same idea there. Yeah, but but first of all, it's, he can't do it. Yeah, I mean the 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 oath of a doctor is do no harm. Sure. Um, now he may think he was doing good, but you know, uh, once again, we get into this these opioids and everything and um you know you a lot of people will talk about medical marijuana doing easing pain what versus it, having opioids what and, and again i mean i don't know if this is in the story or not but what if it was the patient's wishes to be slowly put down like that they don't have that choice it's illegal and and if, well, if, if you're a patient, can't you say, like, make me as comfortable as possible? Mm, yes. You can say, make me as comfortable as possible. You can't say, kill me. And the doctor, his obligation is to say, I can't do that. Unless you're in, in, in hospice and they give you, like, doses of morphine to sure. to put you out and make you comfortable but what was the wasn't there a ruling against dr kevorkian when that happened didn't they of find, course yeah yeah but he thought he thought he was assisting he the, was assisting and yeah. they were requesting it but he as a doctor is Can't not allowed that. to sure. carry it out unless now some states i think have legalized assisted suicide or they are working towards legalizing assisted suicides. So, but in Dr. Kevorkian's case, he was literally almost advertising that you could come to me for assisted suicides. But we've got a doctor in Ohio, 25 deaths. I mean, that that to me is incredible. Um, I know we've got, do we got to take a break? Do we got to take a, did I just say that? It's great grammar, Joe. Do we got to take a break? You gots to. <laughs> I think I just said that. I don't care. Keep it in. Put it on the podcast. Use it as a promo. <laughs> well, I don't know if people would want to listen to you if the promo said, we gots to take a break. We got, well, I don't care. I don't care. It's, it's, it's real. It happened. I said it. I can't take it back. That's right. It'll people people in Canton will every time they see you now they'll say that's the man that said we gots to take a break. I didn't say we gots to. Well, now I'm creating. <laughs> I'm creating a conspiracy. You're embellishing. I like to do that. When we come back, we're going to do our contest, and then I want to talk with John and and Stephen about. Um, have we? Have we lost our collective minds? We've lost all civility. There are two stories that we're going to finish up with that absolutely will blow you away. 
I don't know if we have time for Eisenhower, too. We'll see. We're going to try and squeeze all this in in 15 minutes. But first, we've got to take a break so we can get to it. Stay tuned. All right, it's contest time. We've got to hurry through this. i got other things I want to do. We've got to be able to get this done. So I'm... Call! It's time to win four tickets to the Akron Rubber Ducks. Oh, wow. Now they're lit up like crazy. I don't know where to go. Caller number three, what's your name, please? Jeff. Jeff, how are you, Jeff? Fine, thanks. Good, Jeff. You ready? Oh, my goodness, yes. All right. All right. Here we go. What was the code name given to the military plan for D-Day? Operation Overlord. You are the man. All right. What was the name of General Patton's fake army before the D-Day invasion? The first United States Army group. Yes. Did you know they did that? It was all inflatable tanks and everything. So over the air, everybody, the Germans thought definitely that General Patton was going to be the one spearheading the the uh, the invasion. Yes, I heard they had a head artist making fake uh, soundtracks of yes through the night and painted stuff to look like bigger than it was. Absolutely. Yeah. When did the planning for the operation begin? 1943. Jeff, you are brilliant. You are brilliant. Thanks, you are truly you. brilliant. <laughs> Thanks to your answer. <laughs> you want a four-pack of vouchers to the Akron Rubber Ducks? Any regular season game of your choice. So I am going to put you on hold. Steven's going to take your information, and then you could come in this week and pick up those vouchers. Use them anytime this summer. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Right. You have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too, Joe. Thank you. All right. All right. Here's, first of all, they need to have Moda at the, uh, at the, I don't know why they don't have Moda tournaments. How do you play Moda? Fingers. You shoot fingers and you argue. Oh. Arguing is the key to Moda. Sounds perfect for a bunch of Mediterranean people. Oh, I know. It's it's wonderful. And, you, and then you get older guys. They're the best because they have arthritis in their fingers, and you can't tell if they're throwing one out or not, and they always have an excuse. So they may say two, and it looks like two are out, but one of them's bent, <laughs> and you, so you can't tell, and then you start a big argument. So it's really crazy. That's perfect. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Now, here's two stories that I wanted to give you that are – that are absolutely, it, it makes you wonder if we have lost any semblance of civility in our country. A woman was busted June 4th for McChicken rage. She actually ordered a McChicken. The sandwich wasn't prepared to her liking, so she asked for her money back. They gave her her money back, but she still wasn't satisfied. So she went around the corner and started making her own chicken sandwich. (laughs) When the manager, who was a pregnant lady, went to stop her from making her own sandwich, she pushed and slapped the lady, the manager. Then somebody else came to the pregnant manager's aid. She slapped and punched that person and continued to make her sandwich until the cops arrived and had to pull her out. Where have we come? Here's another one. Taco Bell customer. 
person goes to Taco Bell, it's late, really late at night or early morning. That's the only time to go. Yeah. And they have run out of taco shells. They ran out of soft and hard taco shells. What the person do? Calls 911. <laughs> Calls 911. Calls the police. Says Taco Bell's out of both hard and soft taco shells. The police, the policeman said, while this truly is a travesty, the police can't do anything about this. We only hope that the shells were restocked in time for Taco Tuesday. (laughs) But where have we come? The McChicken story is ridiculous. But you get this all the time anymore. I know, I know. People assaulting people because they forgot the lettuce in their sandwich. Calling 911 over a bad order. They forgot my fries. I've I've heard this. They've called 911 because someone forgot the fries in the bag. I think people don't know what it means to dial for help at 911. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, the whole thing's crazy. We've lost our civility. We've lost the ability to talk. And, and I mean, I would be pretty upset if it's one in the morning and I'm going through Taco Bell and they run out of shells. Like, I don't care. Yeah, but you're not going to call 911. No, You'll I, go somewhere else. But I wouldn't take the meat by itself because that's I know, would. low-grade dog food. Well, that's, that's... Whoa, you just said that. I hope, I hope nobody from Taco Bell was listening. Taco Hell? Yeah. Toxic Hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, I want to thank uh, Jadine Carroll. I want to thank Pastor Moss, Dr. Tim King, John Bazika, J. David Russ, uh, Stephen Potter for producing this show. I, I, I wanted to end it with this as, as a remembrance of the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Some words that were spoken right before the troops embarked on D-Day. Have a wonderful week, everybody. I'll talk to you next Saturday. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers-in-arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man-to-man, 